All right, so we're in John chapter 6 today. Uh, my original plan was to go verses 22 all the way through the end of the chapter, which if you count, that's, it goes through verse 71. So that's almost 50 verses. Uh, that was a, m- a mistake. And so I decided instead of feeling rushed and hurried and like just trying to get through the text, we're actually going to break it up a little bit and slow down in John chapter 6. So we're going to be in verses 22 through 40 today. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through these, and then we'll spend some time talking about uh, these powerful scriptures and what it is that Jesus is saying to us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, John chapter 6, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles available for you. Uh, I don't know where the stacks are. Do we know where the stacks are? Okay, Rick's great, grabbing some. So Rick has a stack of Bibles. If you would like a Bible in your hands, I know a lot of us have apps and we use that. If you didn't bring one and you'd like a Bible in your hands, just raise your hand and Rick will bring one to you right now. He would love to do that. So go for that. All right. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him there on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me today and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and will raise him up on the last day. All right, a couple of bits of context that I think just are helpful to kind of set the stage. You might be with us walking through the book of John, listening to every message. You might not be doing that. If you know anything about Jesus' life, he lived 33 years on earth before he was crucified. Uh, The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— the four books of the Bible, that, that they're the narrative of Jesus' life. And three of them are very similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. They're the same or similar gospels. And then John tells it differently. Uh, we know that John writes much later in life. He writes after pretty much everybody else has passed away. He's writing back into the story, remembering the things. 
in a sense, he's actually bringing things that the other writers did not bring to help bring a perspective that will shape faith in those that don't already believe. In fact, John specifically tells us at the end of the book, he said, I've written these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. So his whole goal of writing this book is to draw belief out of you. You may not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm writing everything that I'm writing so that you would believe. It's obvious to John. He has no doubt in his mind. There's no question mark in John. He saw everything. He has witnessed everything that Jesus has done. He was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. He sat and ate with him after he watched him be crucified and buried. He's like, I'm all in, 100%, no doubt in my mind. So everything I do is to help you believe that Jesus is the Christ. So he's chosen these stories, and uh, my dad mentioned last week, really interesting timeline in the book of John. Chapters 1 through 5 essentially represent the first two years of Jesus' ministry and life uh, of serving as a teacher. And then John 6 through the end of the book represent the final year. This is one year of Jesus' ministry, and much of that is the final week of Jesus' life. And so John really puts a high emphasis on kind of Jesus's now what, or his so that, or all of the things that he wanted to make sure that people would hear from him before he leaves. What are the need to know kind of things? That's how John is emphasizing this. And everything that John has chosen, he's telling us, I'm not putting everything in the book. If I did that, there, there wouldn't be bookshelves to hold all the books that I'd be writing. So I am selective in my authorship. And so every passage that we read in the book of John is curated, chosen, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. And this story, it follows up on a theme that was started last week. Jesus feeds five, if you remember, that was more like 12 or 15 plus thousand people. He feeds them with a child's lunch, five loaves of bread and two sardines, two small fish. And Jesus multiplies this above and beyond. And what we're starting to see, and, and you kind of see this theme running throughout. Bread is actually a theme in the Old Testament. The idea of manna, of God providing food from heaven, is a theme from the Old Testament. If you've ever spent any time reading through the book of Exodus, or maybe you saw the movie The Prince of Egypt, or you have some experience uh, in the Old Testament, you remember that God provided for Israel while they were in the wilderness miraculously. He would provide for them, but it was a certain kind of provision. It was a kind of provision where every morning the Israelites would wake up. They have, if you remember anything of the story, they've escaped from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They've escaped from Egypt. And they've entered into the wilderness, and they're on their way to the land of promise, to the promised land, and God provides them every morning with a bread substance called manna, like snow on the ground. So they would wake up to a fresh manna that had been laid on the ground for them to eat. Now the instructions were that they were to wake up and gather what they needed for that day. If they gathered more than they needed for that day, it would spoil overnight. They would not be able to eat it the next day. So there was no gathering. You, would, you needed to trust God that he would provide for you today. And guess what? Tomorrow when you wake up, more provision. And the next day when you wake up, more provision. Trust me, I'm here. I will not let you down. I'm going to provide. You need to trust me. So that was the, the message that God was giving to Israel. It was a high call of dependence. 
I want you to look to me for your substance, for your resource. And so Jesus, when he feeds 5,000 people, there's this picture of his provision like God provided manna. So an amazing connection in that story. And then Jesus leaves that place, and his disciples go across to the other side, and he catches up without a boat. He walks on water. He actually walks across the Sea of Galilee on the water to get to his disciples on the boat in the midst of a storm. It's an incredible thing, but the crowd did notice that the disciples left without Jesus, and then the next morning Jesus was gone. And I want you to picture this. Now this is the context that John's giving us in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea. So what was the number? Between five and 15,000 people. So the crowd that remained, these people had not gone with Jesus or his disciples. They knew that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus was not in it. The disciples went across, Jesus stayed put, and there were no other boats there. But Jesus was gone. They said, okay, Jesus is gone. Let's go find him. There's a manhunt. They want to find more of Jesus. Remember, they've just experienced a powerful miracle. They've been fed. And so they get up and they're thinking, where is Jesus? We need to find Jesus. And they get into boats and they go across the sea because boats come from Tiberias. I don't know. John doesn't tell us if all of those thousands of people climbed into boats. He tells us the crowd went after Jesus. What do you think that was? Ten people? Do you think 30 and John would still call it a crowd? Hundred? I'm thinking thousands of people are getting into boats. This is an armada across the Sea of Galilee seeking out Jesus. This crowd is moving in force to find Jesus. They want more of this miracle, this walking miracle that is Jesus, and they They need to find him. They're compelled to find him. So they get into boats, and they go across, and they find him on the other side. And they're like, Rabbi, this is verse 25, when did you come here? We went to bed last night. You were with us. We woke up in the morning. There were no boats, and you were not here. How, when, what, when did you get here? They want to know details or figure something out. They're curious. Jesus does not answer their question. Verse 26, truly, truly, This is where we get into the meat of the passage. We're going to spend some time here. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It's a really interesting thing that Jesus is doing. If you remember, before he fed the 5,000 people, he gave a quasi-rebuke that they were just looking for signs. You're just following me to see a miracle. You just want to see a sign. But then here, now on the far side of the lake, he gives a different kind of rebuke. He says, you're not even looking for signs anymore. You just want food. You had your fill yesterday, and today you want more of that food. And Jesus is using this as a teaching moment to say, be careful what kind of food it is that you're after. Because you can go after the food that perishes, Or you can find out what God really has for you, and that's a food that never perishes. This is verse 26. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Here's what he says. Do not labor for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. All right, so Jesus says a number of things about this. He says, don't labor for food that perishes, which if you lived in the first century, uh, do you know what it's, it's like to be in a country that's hand to mouth? It's you make that day what you eat that day. That's uh, for most of us, we have pantries, we have refrigerators, we have freezers, we live uh, out a ways. We have savings accounts, we have, we have things that we can buy that we'll eat whenever. Uh, we just went out to Iowa, we stayed in Kristen's grandparents' house. The, the classic joke with grandma, both of her grandparents have passed away, it's sort of a family house now. Uh, but you would open the fridge and you would find things that expired nine years ago or 13 years ago. And she just hated throwing food away. And, but she, she wouldn't eat expired food, but she hated throwing it away. Quite weird. We don't live this way. They did. Every day, what you catch, that's your meal. What you grow, that's your meal. What you bake, that's your meal. They, they would live hand to mouth. And so Jesus is saying, don't work for the food that perishes. They, again, this, they would associate very quickly and very easily with what he's saying. Now, from this point, that word labor is going to become a little micro-theme in this passage. Again, they understand the idea of work. In the Jewish context, it was a bit of work to interact with God. In fact, this massive crowd of people, they are on their way to Jerusalem. If you remember the context from last week, they're on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal. There's a, uh, a regular sort of pilgrimage rhythm that Jews live in where they, they would come together at the temple and then they would go back to their homes and they would come together at the temple and go back to their homes. They practiced the Sabbath, tithes and offerings. There were rules and regulations around how you would honor God, dietary rules and cleanliness rules. If you broke a certain cleanliness rule, you would go and you would do purification, washing, in order to be presented as clean. And so there were works of God to come and be in right relationship with God. So Jesus said, don't labor for the food that perishes. And they pick up on that word. They're like, oh, okay, labor. All right, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's, let's pull that thread. So that's one of the things that we'll point out. The other thing is Jesus says, but for. So he actually, he's still in the labor theme but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So this is a will give, not a might give. Jesus is saying very clearly, the Son of Man will give to everybody that labors for the bread that endures. He's going to give it freely. Just like feeding the, the 15,000, there, there was no qualification for who got food and who didn't. Every single person that was there was fed until they were full, every one of them. They weren't checking citizenship at the door. Were there Gentiles in the midst? Were there, uh, were there people that uh, had sin in their lives? Were there people from broken families? Were there people that shouldn't have been there? Didn't matter. Everybody got the food. Everybody that came to Jesus for the bread got the bread. Every one of them. And he says the same thing here. There's nobody that's going to be turned away from this. There's not one person that if you come seeking this food that endures, you will get it but I want you to work for it, he says. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, anytime you hear somebody say you got to work for it, something pings in your mind, and maybe you memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 growing up, and you say, hey, no work. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works so that nobody can boast. Nobody can work for what they get from God. There's no work allowed, no work involved. 
This is the Jimmy Buffett gospel, like nothing. Just put your feet up and relax. It's all God's doing. But here Jesus says, labor for the food that endures. It's like 80% of you that that Jimmy Buffett joke just went right over your head. I'm like on the bottom cusp of even knowing who Jimmy Buffett is, but yeah, all right, there we go. Now some of you are getting into it. You're getting into the vibe. You just threw your feet up. A little margarita in hand. Okay, here we go. He continues. They said to him, so they heard this, and they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? These are Jewish people. They know, they know the work of a Jew. They understand it fully and completely. There's not a, a question mark in their mind, but they also know that Jesus is a different kind of rabbi. They've never seen anything like him, and he's saying, don't labor for the food that perishes. And he says, labor for the food that endures. And they say, okay, okay, we need to pull that thread. What kind of work should we be doing that is the work of God? What do, you, what do we do? And here's where I just want to speak to some of you from the text, but maybe a bit pastorally. For some of us, myself included, the easiest way of God would be just tell me the rules to follow and I'll follow them. God, give me the, the right things to do. What do I do so that you will bless me? What do I do so that you will provide for me? Just, I, I want this thing, so what activities are needed in my life so that I might be fulfilled, so that I might know that you're with me? Just give me the to-do list, and I will do it. And we function better spiritually that way. And so for a lot of us, maybe we're drawn to what's known as like a, a legalistic kind of Christianity where it's like, well, if you read your Bible every day, if you pray every day, if you go to church every week, if you give 10% of all that you make pre-tax to the church, if you, uh, if you uh, host a community group, if you make a casserole, if you do these different things, then you will experience the full blessing of God. And for some of us, it's like, yes, thank you. That's the list I needed. I, I just needed... What do I do today so that I get the blessing of God tomorrow? I just want to check it off. We're even happy to be in God's ecosystem. It's not like it's a, a, a reluctant thing. We're happy to be in God's ecosystem, but we're just looking for the task. And Jesus responds to our hunger for a task list with a different kind of connection to God. What must we be doing? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says... This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, I told you that John was curating this, and he told us that he's given us everything so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And here, Jesus said very explicitly, instead of all the work that you've been doing, the new work that will get you into right relationship with God is me belief in me. This is why Paul writes and says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Those two are connected to each other. It's the grace of God, but it's actually partnered with your faith, your belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus is expressing that very partnership right here. He is inviting you to experience the fullness of what God has, bread from heaven, food that endures. You will never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty. How do I get it? Believe. 
Now, this has led to a, a bit of a, a divergence in Christianity where there are some people that have taken that and they've made an extremely simple gospel, so much so that it's, out of, it's actually come out of people's mouths. You don't need to change anything about yourself. Just believe. You don't need to do anything different. Nothing about you should be transformed or different or changed or anything. Don't worry about that. Jesus said it, just believe. So all, all you have to do is believe. And according to the literal words of Jesus, believe, then yeah, that's a true statement. All you have to do is believe. But what we learn as we read through the scriptures, even these very texts, is that belief transforms every single person that holds it. See, knowing Jesus is different than knowing facts and figures and information. There are some people that can recite to you the gospel of God, but they have no belief as Jesus would describe it. He even says that to them. He says, uh, let me find this exactly. You have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus said that in verse 36. You've seen me, but you don't believe. You're watching me feed 15,000 people, heal sick people, raise Lazarus from the dead. That's forthcoming. You're watching me do these endless amounts of miracles. You've heard the stories. You don't believe that I'm from God? There are a lot of us that can be in the presence of faith without actually possessing it ourselves. You can be around believers often, but it never penetrates to your own heart. And I, honestly, even as I'm saying this, some of you might be experiencing just a, a little bit of a ping of like, okay, yeah, I get that because I, I have been around this a lot, but I don't know, I've never really actually said anything about faith. I've never really understood this idea of belief. Let me talk just a little bit about what Jesus wants from us. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Okay, so again, they're just, they're kind of like, all right, show us a little bit more. We need to see just a little bit more if we're going to believe. What work do you perform? They said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So there they're tying it to the Old Testament. Every day they woke up and they had bread from heaven. So that's how they believed. They believed because every day God said, hey, I'm still here. In case you started to doubt overnight, I'm still here. Which, again, for many of us, were like, if I just had that every morning, like every day I wake up and there's just a full cup of coffee on my table, oh, my faith would be off the charts. Like, what if God just did that? This beautiful Ethiopian coffee just filled to the brim, hot and ready, exactly the temperature I like it. My faith would come so easy at that point if God would just provide every day some kind of physical manifestation of his presence. That's what I need. That's what they were looking for. Our fathers had bread from heaven. What are you going to do for us? What are you going to do to show us that you are from God? And this is where Jesus says those incredible words. He says them seven times in the book of John. The words, I am. I am. Now, whenever Jesus says, I am, and then fill in the blank, 
he is explicitly, specifically referencing Exodus chapter 6 when God calls Moses out of the burning bush and Moses is like, all right, who do I tell them that you are? And he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. When God speaks to Moses and he tells Moses how to define him to Israel, the words are, I am. You tell them I am. That's what you tell them. You tell them, I am. And so seven times in the book of John, John's referencing that very phrase where Jesus embraces and embodies the very words of God, I am. And here he says it, I am the bread of life. You don't actually need a daily dose of manna like the fathers in Israel did in the wilderness. That's not what you're looking for. That's a, that's a bread that perishes. That's, that's a, a, a daily dose of something that it doesn't actually, it feeds you for the day, but that was not the hope of eternity. The manna on the ground in the wilderness was not the hope of eternity. God wants to feed you with something so much more permanent than that. So much more eternal than that. A food that will never perish. Water, like he told the Samaritan woman at the well, that will make it so that you are never thirsty again. I'm the bread of life. So here's where we're going to spend just the final few minutes of our time together. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me, whoever comes after me, never be hungry, never be thirsty. He'll go on to say, whatever the Father gives me, I'm not going to reject a single one. Everyone that comes to me. He'll say in chapter 7, all who come to me, is anyone thirsty? Who needs what I have? Because what I have is free to give. So here's the, here's the question that I have for you. Kind of time for some internal checks and balances. There's sort of like, uh, I don't know, maybe a little decision tree. Same house in Iowa. They've had the same cups. Do you guys have a family house somewhere, maybe a cabin or something that you go to, and there's cups that have been in there for 20-some-odd years, like from a pizza place with like a faded, does that sound familiar? That was our, that, okay, so that was there. And uh, so this one from a pizza place, super faded print on this cheap plastic cup. Uh, it says, are you hungry? And then it has the two arrows, yes and no. And then the two more arrows that say order a pizza. So kind of regardless of if you're hungry or not, you just, you order a pizza. So here we are. We're, we're at these like arrows. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes or no? It's kind of the first point of this decision tree that we're in. Are you a follower of Jesus? This message is not a, a one-time message. This isn't a message to those of you that are not believers in Jesus. I have a message for you from Jesus. He's the bread of heaven. He's the bread of life. And those of you that are believers, you've already heard this, you've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good, so you can just relax and shut off your ears for just a moment. That's not how this works. Here's where this works. First of all, for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, if that defines you, if you're searching and seeking, I hope, I hope you know what an important journey you are on to find truth in this world that's beyond ourselves. I'm guessing you're here because you've seen that there's something more than what's right in front of you. You've seen that this world is bigger than anything you could ever wrap your head and your heart fully around. 
and you understand that there's more to the story than the life that you've lived. I'm guessing that that's you. Something compelled you to be here. Even if it was a simple invitation from somebody, you can reject an invitation, but you said yes, you're here. God is saying to you, I am the bread of life. John told us from the very beginning, in him is life. And when we say life, what we're talking about is twofold. Eternal life and abundant life. John 10.10 will say that he came to give life and life abundant. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So we have eternal life and abundant life. And those two mean two different things. One is today and one is tomorrow. See, God doesn't just want you to make some decision when you're, you know, 88 and kind of getting ready to wrap up your years on earth and just say, oh, okay, eternity. I'd rather be in heaven than hell, so I'm going to say yes to following Jesus. And for some of us, we've even lived with that mentality of like, okay, I'm going to delay spiritual things until later. I don't need to know these things until later. I don't need to think about them. It just occupies a lot of mental space, a lot of time and energy, giving money. I'll do all that later. But the challenge that I want to put before you is that this bread of life that Jesus came to give is not just about eternity, though it is food that does not perish. He's saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you need every day when you wake up to sustain you. And that's what I do. I sustain you. I hold you in the hand of God. I possess you. Like a father possesses his son, I take you in. I care for you. I love you. I'm your shepherd. I lead you. I'm your anointing, the cup that pours out oil on your head. I anoint you with my presence, and I fill your cup to overflow. I bless you. I provide for you. I'm with you. But even after all of that, that that reality is it is God himself. And Jesus is saying, God wants to be with you and you with him. Anytime you see the word abide, we're talking about a connected relationship, one-to-one, you and the creator of the universe, abiding with each other, remaining with each other, living with each other. This is what God is seeking, life with you, you with him. That's not eternity. That's today. To where today you can walk through this life with the fullness of joy, the fullness of courage, the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of this experience. You can have today what God promises for eternity. You can have his presence today. And so when you come to him, and say, what is this bread? I'm, I'm interested. And he says, I'm the bread. Well, what, what must I do to have the bread? And he says, believe in me. He means it. The point of all of this. It's not, about, it's not about showing up here next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. We don't take attendance. Honestly, when we talk about offering, it's a free will offering. 
I mean, I have personal thoughts about tithes and the way that uh, giving a tenth of your income works and all that kind of thing, but, but to be honest, there's not the demand on that. It's this reality that God actually loves when he enters our life and it changes who we are and generosity is the overflow of a changed life. That's the giving that God loves. It's not about your religious expression. Did you sing loud enough? Did you raise your hands? Did you dance around? Did you give yourself to God well enough? That's not it. He says, I'm the bread of life. And when we have him and we're feeding off of him and we're depending on him, he changes us. And that's where this message is. So if you're not a believer, seek him, the bread of life. It changes everything. If you are a believer, you know all those stories in Exodus about Israel kind of wandering and waning? They had manna every morning, and then they're like, manna again? God is miraculously providing for them every day, and they get over it. Some of you are over it. God's with you. You have his presence. He leads you. He speaks to you. He loves you. He ministers to you. He refreshes you and restores you. And you have these stories after stories after stories in your life of God serving and loving and providing and powerfully working through you. And today you're just like, manna again? Is that really it? And honestly, even as I'm describing this right now, you might feel an immense amount of guilt, like, oh. (laughs) How do we get there? We get to that place, honestly, because anything that happens in a repetitive and rote kind of way can grow stale. For Israel, waking up every morning and seeing God's miraculous provision grew stale. How wild. You think back, do you ever ever read the Old Testament and think, oh, I would never. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I would would never. No, not a chance. Yet here we are today. And how quickly and how easily we give an offering and and just, you know, maybe even for years we've given cheerfully. And then it starts to feel painful. Maybe circumstances have changed and, and that offering just, you just like, do you really, Lord, do you need this or do I need this? Because I kind of need this right now. And you've got all these other people that are giving, so maybe I'll just keep for myself. Or with our worship, we show up and maybe we used to prepare for worship. We would wake up in the morning and go for a walk or go for a hike and kind of almost like pregame worship with the church. You know, we're just kind of gearing ourselves up for the big game and preparing our hearts to worship. And then now it's just like kind of stumbling out of bed and grabbing the kids and shoving pancakes and getting to church and just kind of surviving the hour and a half until you can get out and on to the next thing. And it just got to that point. So here's the question. How how does it become fresh? I hope you don't feel guilt when I say those things because I think at some point all of us would go through that. Mom and dad, have you guys gone through those times of stale relationships with Jesus? All right, 46 years married, 45 years married, all of those following Jesus, 
ministry, passionate pursuit, international travel, blessing the world, loving Jesus, we would look at them as a bastion of followers of Jesus. Maybe I'm building them up too much. Stale faith from time to time. It's going to happen to all of us, and it may be happening to many of you today. So how do we find joy in the bread of life? There's only one trick. There's, like, legitimately, there is only one trick to freshness. Jesus says, I am. I'm the bread of life. You don't come to church. We're not in the business of making Anthem Church known. We're in the business of making Jesus known. We're not in this so that you'll be back the next Sunday. We're in this so that you'll know Jesus and that he will be your treasure. We don't sing these songs so that you can hit the notes that you love to hit and you can get the rhythms that you love to get and you get the songs that you really love. We magnify Jesus. We don't call for offering because we need your money because the reality is we'll operate on a $40,000 budget or a $4 million budget. We'll figure it out. Whatever comes in, we'll figure it out. We actually give because Jesus is the source of life. And as he comes into us, we, we overflow. So if you're finding things to be stale, my guess is it's become about some of the peripheral things. And the call is to the bread of life, to Jesus himself. Find Jesus. Read the scriptures, not out of obligation, but go on a Jesus hunt. Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? What are you doing that I need to see? Walk through your day and look for Jesus. As you walk through your day, Jesus, what do you want me to see? Help me to see this world the way that you see it. How do you want to show me things differently? What do you want me to hear, Jesus, that I might hear from you? And then at the end of your day, look back and just say, where did I see Jesus? Where did he speak to me? Where was I aware of his presence? Where did he remind me of his love? Honestly, guys, Jesus is the bread of life. That's it. What's the work I must do? Believe in him. You just dive deeper into the pool of Jesus and there is freshness and vibrancy and life there. My hope is that whenever you're here, you hear it over and over and over. Your presence here is not designed for our benefit. It is to fill you with the love of Jesus, to reflect to you the love of Jesus. our, Our hope is that even in worship, that Jesus would be magnified and in doing that, your joy is made full. Because Jesus is glorified through your words, through your heart, through your worship. When we pray for you, these prayers are that Jesus would be glorified and made known in your life. This is why we do what we do. My encouragement to you, for those of you that are seeking right now some kind of life and vibrancy, is to go on a journey of finding the bread of life, Jesus himself. Taste and see that he is good. And if you're curious about how to do that, honestly, look around the room. I can't tell you that every gray hair in the room is somebody of long and deep faith, but I can tell you just even by eyeballing the gray hairs in the room, most of them are. They've been walking with Jesus. 
They've had to climb some of the hills and they've had to go through some of the valleys that you guys are in right now. And their greatest joy in life, and you can shut me up if I'm wrong, but their greatest joy in life would be to tell you how they got to see Jesus in the valleys and they got to see Jesus in the peaks. And even still to this day, they're seeking to find Jesus in that journey. And that's how we, that's how we go on this journey. That's why we're in community together because we need each other it's not going to be something that you do on your own. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for bringing us together, for giving us the opportunity to rejoice, to find you, Jesus, the bread of life, as the source of all that we need. We love you and we praise you. Would you give us grace as we go from here seeking what you provide, not the bread that's going to satisfy us for today, but the bread of life, that eternal powerful presence that is you, Jesus, with us. God, your presence in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.